Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil. Hey guys, welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Ahmed Sarafi. He is a real estate developer and has experience leading all facets of real estate development, spanning more than 100 million in commercial assets, both multifamily and commercial real estate. He started off in commercial real estate brokerage and general contracting and now runs his own development firm. Ahmed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Yannick, man. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So just a quick backstory. You know, we met on Clubhouse and, you know, I've always thought to myself, you know, this guy has so much knowledge and experience in the real estate sector. And you would never know because he's such like a humble guy. And it's truly an honor getting to know more about you, Ahmed. And, you know, we've had long conversations on Clubhouse back when Clubhouse was just a 24 hour marathon. Right. People would just on there just for days, but just listening to you and your background in real estate development and your experience has been nothing but a wealth of knowledge. So super excited to have you on the show. Well, excited to be here. And then it was back in when Clubhouse had uh, everyone's attention because we were all on COVID lockdown and we couldn't do anything. We had to stay home all day. It was nothing but time back then, but I think a lot (laughs) of people just (laughs) figured out, hey, I actually have a, a business to run. Right. For our listeners today who are really interested in getting into, you know, real estate development, but let's start with Ahmed, you know, tell us more about your story, how you got to where you are today as a young kid growing up and getting to where you are today. Right. Fairly simple, but, you know, grew up here in Southern California where I'm still based uh, outside of Los Angeles, but I did have to work my whole life. My dad being an immigrant, you know, made his kids work. So my dad, like every Arab immigrant, had a gas station and I spent pretty much (laughs) half my life there. Uh, That's why it took me eight years to go to college because I was working 60 to 70 hours a week in the gas station, you know, from from opening it up at 6 a.m. To, to closing it down at, on many days. So I uh, grew up really hands-on, you know, stocking shelves, fixing gas pumps, always doing things myself because that's what we're taught. And I always like putting things together. I always like playing with Legos. I always liked fixing gas pumps, taking, you know, my car apart and putting it back together and things like that. So I always grew up very hands-on and I just enjoyed the whole process of, building things and putting things back together. So I think that really helped uh, influence me on my journey to going into commercial real estate and then into construction development where I am now. So eight years in college, left college, uh, was able to get a job as a commercial real estate broker here in Southern California for our company, now known as CB, a very large commercial firm, and doing a lot of uh, real estate transactions here. And, you know, just finding my superpower, finding what I was really good at. And that was being able to find opportunities that most people don't see is able to spot an opportunity or a need that most people don't see, whether it's a piece of land or a piece of dirt, or it's a customer or client who is needing help, but they don't even know what they need help with. So it's able to find those opportunities and start putting them together. And did commercial real estate brokerage for many years and rolled into uh, commercial development, culinary buildings, office buildings, performing arts centers, all sorts of projects that I was uh, leading construction teams on because I had a natural knack of 
you know, just putting things together, whether it's teams of guys or materials or projects, I was just really good at putting things together and I really enjoyed it. And over the years, took all that experience and, and deal making and rolled it into a uh, investment and development firm that I have now that I've been putting a lot of time and effort into growing now. And we have property from Southern California throughout Phoenix and all the way out to Dallas, Texas, where I got a couple of projects going on right now and looking for more. That's amazing. An extensive amount of experience, you know, that you were able to take into your real estate development business. You know, talk about why, why did you get into real estate specifically? What made you get into specifically real estate development? I don't know if I really fell into it or if it's something that drew me, but you know, when I was getting ready to finish college, one of my professors was a president of a large real estate investment development firm here in California. And having a conversation with him saying, I need to go into, you know, into find a job and find a career. And he suggested, Hey, you know, look into commercial real estate brokerage. I have friends. I think you'd be good there. And I, and that just happened. And I went through the process and got a job as a commercial real estate broker, spent many years brokering industrial and office property and really enjoyed it. Really found a knack that I was good at it. Really enjoyed the sales process, really enjoyed the client building process because some of these commercial deals are not like residential residential you find somebody they look 30 60 90 days find the house go into escrow and start to finish maybe in a few months you found the client and you close the deal some of my commercial clients i would spend years and years developing a relationship with them when it was finally time for them to expand or to relocate or to have a new facility it takes years and time and i guess i've enjoyed that process of building, building relationships, building connections, building uh, opportunities, and then at the end of the day, building the deal and building the development as well. So I just really found a knack in real estate and taking my love for building, uh, not just projects or buildings, but building relationships and friendships and, and opportunities and, 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 you know, groups, and just was able to capitalize on that because putting things together, building better is something that I enjoy and and it's taken to me to where I am now. That's great. I would say for me, we share somewhat of a, of a similarity in, in how we got into real estate. For me, it was, you know, starting off at a brokerage, similar to what you did, representing clients, right? And then taking that experience and then moving that into the asset management space. And then, you know, taking that and, you know, started doing deals and then went off full time. So I think there's a lot of value in working for someone else, being able to learn from someone else at a high level, watching their mistakes and taking the things that they have done well and implementing it into your own business. Is that kind of like the mindset that you had to when growing your own real estate development firm? I figured out, you know, early on that, like I said, Putting things together and building things were were something that I really enjoyed, which were, you know, building a friendship, building a, a development deal, building a group, building a company. I really enjoyed that whole process of taking nothing and assembling all the pieces and putting it together and having something at the very end. Whether I'm building a dinner where I'm taking all the raw ingredients and putting it together and at the end of the day, I got a dinner or it's a friendship and building a friendship and you have a great friendship or it's a project. So... By doing that, you also get to see how other people do it wrong, right? You also see how people skip steps. You also get to see how people go cheap and they go cheap on an ingredient in a in a recipe or they go cheap on a product or a um, 
one part of the construction process or some material, or you see they go cheap on how they uh, build a friendship and they only, you know, use the friendship. It's only one sided. So you get to see over the years how by skipping steps or taking the cheap route or not putting your full intention into something, you don't get the kind of result that you should get. And I hate seeing that because I hate seeing buildings that are being built and projects that are being built that are half-assed and they could have done so much better, but they wanted to save a few cents. Or I see how people put together a deal or a friendship or a project or whatever it may be, and they skip steps and they go cheap. And at the end result is just, it's horrible. I'm like, now you got to live with this for the rest of your life. You got a project, you got a building, you got a development or whatever it may be. And it could have been so much better but you went cheap, you skipped steps. And if you only put one more percent into it, if you only put one more bit of effort into it, it could have been a completely different outcome, but it was not. And I hate seeing that. And I try to educate people against that because I've seen it and I've experienced it so much over my career that I'm really trying to get out there and tell people, build better, do a better job, put a little bit of more effort into it, take a little bit more time to do it right. And you're going to have a completely different outcome instead of going the, uh, the cheap way, the quick way, the easy way. There's an old adage that says don't half ass it, whole asset, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. In my specific space, you know, in multifamily syndication, there are many times where we're, you know, we're taking on older buildings and we're just like, you know, why did they build it this way? I wish that we can do do it differently, but in real estate development, you have an opportunity to take a piece of dirt and turn it around into something great and something attractive that you can you know, not only help the community, but also profit on, right? And so I'm sure there are many opportunities where in that specific process, you know, what is it called? Value engineering. Mm-hmm. You can make sure that your your building is is optimized and, and making sure that all the things are added into your building that would likely add to your bottom line and make it as efficiently as possible. So I think um, that's great that you have that perspective of building better. So take us back to, you know, when you first started in getting into your real estate development business. What was that first deal and what was the experience from doing your first deal in real estate development? So the first actual development that I actually did was a small piece of land that my dad had from the gas station business, right? We had this little old corner, old gas station that you used to see back in the 60s with the uh, two pumps and the two bays and stuff like that. And it was torn down and had the piece of land for many, many years. And so I said, okay, this is an opportunity where I can go and take this property and put together a good plan, put together a good team and, and do a good project on it. So went out, found the architects, um, went through a couple uh, revisions, realized that the architect who was doing the work on the project wasn't up to snuff. They weren't coming up with a good functional uh, design. So I had to fire that architect and get a new one. And by doing that, um, it took a little bit more time in the development process, but the new architect came up with a really good design, a really functional design, a design that could be used and could be applied to many different types of tenants and, and different types of uses at the property. So I'm like, okay, we have a good design now. So now let's see how we can construct it, how we can build it and who we can build it for. Because something that I like to educate and share with people, I'm like, do not build for yourself. Do not design for yourself. Do not think that this is going to be something that represents you. It's going to represent you in a way that is timeless and lasts forever. 
So I wanted to build a building that can be used over and over by many different tenants and it's going to be timeless. So we're able to do that. I designed the building, uh, found the team, was able to get 7-Eleven as a tenant before we even barely got into the construction and then went through that whole construction process as well. Being pretty much the project manager, being the guy who ordered the materials and scheduled the subcontractors and scheduled out the construction aspect and met with the inspectors and did the inspections and, and from start to finish. So I was able to make sure that that building was built without skipping any steps. I was able to make sure that building was built the right way that would last forever, is designed the right way that looked timeless for a very long time and actually have a property or development or a building that fit the community, it fit the desired need, and it fit what people needed versus building something that represented me or what I wanted or my own whims and desires. So was able to go and take that small 6,000 square foot building and do it the right way from the very beginning. And to this day, the building looks great. It's been over 10 years since it was built and people still think, hey, it's a great looking building. Uh, it's well maintained. It's well built and it will be timeless and be around for a very long time. That's great. So I'm pretty sure you were pretty excited about having that 7-Eleven operator, you know, lined up for that development. All right. I know development is one of those business where it's, you know, cash intensive and it's very hard for, for some people to, to break into the development business. But having the tenant lined up for the property, you know, did you feel feel good about, you know, the entire transaction? How was that feeling knowing that you had something lined up for the use in that property? Like I said, it's it's really important to build for, for the need of the community, right? So having that tenant lined up was already uh, very helpful because it just provided a sense of security that once you're completed, you will have that building halfway leased. You already have a tenant who's ready to go and something like that. So that was a really big deal. But at the same time, having them as a tenant has also taught me a lot of things, meaning, you know, I'm not interested in doing retail development because it just doesn't fit for me and having uh, to deal with 7-Eleven and other tenants it's not my my forte but it, it gives me a lot of experience on hey I am building for the community I'm building for the need for the community I'm building for the need for the area which has taught me that whatever I'm going to be doing is for the long term right I want to build cool stuff I want to build timeless stuff I want to build stuff that everyone drives by and says they have to cool ass building. That's a nice building. That thing will be around for eternity. So I want my design to be timeless. I want my construction to be timeless. And I want my uh, use of that building to be timeless because I don't know how many times you've gone down the street, but you've seen a building and it was only built a few years ago and it looks like hell already, or it looks like <laughs> it doesn't even belong in that neighborhood, or it looks like it's like, why did they even design it like that? Because it doesn't even fit the neighborhood. And here in Southern California, it's very, you know, sunny, it's, you know, beachy, it's uh, those types of environments. So I try to build things that lend into the whole environment. So I want Spanish Mediterranean design. I want palm trees. I want red tile roofs. I want uh, lawns and landscaping that will fit that type of a development because I hate, hate seeing things that just don't belong there. And when they don't belong there, it affects the value, it affects your tenants, it affects uh, your buyers and your sellers, and it, and it really hurts you in the long term by designing something that you want to design for yourself and not for the community. I totally 100% agree. I mean, it's like what we do in, in our multifamily business. We don't go in and try to put our own taste on cabinets or, or tile and stuff like that. 
our goal as investors is to satisfy, you know, the demand. What are their needs, right? What's the community needs? Do they like granite countertops? You know, do they like, you know, white towels? So, you know, it's about serving the consumer and that's essentially how we make money. So take me through your due diligence process. You have this piece of dirt. You know, what does that due diligence process look like to put the land on the contract or even through you know, in the feasibility study of just right. figuring out, hey, is this does this opportunity even warrant me moving forward? You know, what does your due diligence process look like? I think it, it starts with uh, one thing, and it's knowing what you're good at. Right. And knowing where to focus your attention on. Right. So if you're looking to be a developer get into development or get into investment you got to be able to sharpen your sharpen your knife and be able to be very strategic and go after exactly what you are skilled in and what you're familiar with and what you know you can accomplish so there's all sorts of kinds of development out there i can go into hotel development retail development office development but i choose to focus uh, on multifamily development and small scale industrial development right one to five acre industrial type parks and buildings, and multifamily development, 100 units and above. Those are two things that I want to focus on for a few reasons. One, multifamily uh, residential will always be in de demand because the population is growing. It's getting more and more expensive and harder to buy a home. So I want to provide that product to a growing population who needs it. And then right now, uh, the small-scale industrial. These are good for your uh, small business owners, these small uh, businesses are getting started and small owner users who want to buy their own building and operate out of it. Because right now, as the economy is changing towards more and more of a service-based economy, you have more and more delivery service, you have more and more warehousing, you have more and more on-demand type economy where you either need to provide a service such as a delivery or something overnight like an Amazon, or you need to be the guys who are servicing those businesses, whether it's a repair service or uh, parts and, and materials, or even you're taking your materials or your product and you're putting it in your warehouse and then sending it to Amazon to their warehouse, and then they sell it for you. So there's these two basic parts of the economy that I'm trying to pursue because I feel like that's where the demand is going to be for the long term. So when I have those two types of specialties that I want to pursue. I look at properties that are on the fringe of society. They're on the outskirts of society. I can't compete with these big major developers that have these deep pockets. I don't have the ability to put millions and millions of dollars into a piece of land or a piece of dirt that's in the middle of downtown because those are the things that these big developers go after. They got the big investors and big pockets. I look on the fringe. I look to see where is the community growing to? What direction? Where is the new freeway off ramps? Where is the new schools being built? Where are the new uh, shopping centers uh, being developed because there's the demand coming in that direction? I like to go on the fringe and buy things and look for these opportunities where I know that if I buy it now for a fair price, in two or three years, when I'm ready to build it, it's going to become more and more value because community and the population is going in that direction, right? So uh, here in Southern California, things are going east you can, uh, and north and south. My focus is on the east side of Los Angeles. So as things progress east of Los Angeles, I'm trying to get onto those fringes and look for those opportunities. I'm looking for things that have good access, right? I don't want to 
things or a development opportunity that you have to make seven lefts and three right turns to get to. I want to make sure it's fairly easy to get to. I want to make sure the utilities are either in the area or coming to that area because if you got to build a project and you got to run your water and sewer lines a mile down the road to connect to the mains, it's going to be very expensive. So I want utilities to be close by, access to be easy. I want to, um, and I want to see growth happening in that area now or in the near future as well. So I look at those things and I try to stay away from shots of glory, right? So it says, oh, I got this big piece of land. It's awesome. You can do this, this, and this, and it's really inexpensive. I'm like, yeah, it's really inexpensive for a reason. Nobody wants it. It's not in the right area. It's too hard to develop. It costs too much to, to bring services to that area. So I try to look for things that are in the path of growth. And that's a big part of my due diligence. And I don't fight the big developers for all the downtown corners of Maine and Maine type stuff because I just don't have that ability. And I don't want to spend my time and, and spin my wheels competing against all these big guys who can do that a lot better than I can. That's a great investment strategy. So it sounds like, you know, the first thing that you really are focused on is your criteria, right? Because you don't want to be spending a lot of time with screening a whole bunch of different opportunities that really does not fit in your buy box. Yes. That's something that that's really important for you too, because it allows you to really niche down and become a specialist on the specific product that you are delivering, right? And then the second thing is, your your attention to the path to progress and you know how i look at real estate development or just markets in general is i break them down into three different phases your first phase is what i call kind of level one where it's like you don't have much investment going on but there's a certainly a lot of opportunity because you're seeing that you know the, the county is putting a quarter of a billion dollars you know into this area or there's a lot of attention coming into this area maybe a big chain is coming into this area or there's some you know migration trends right so level one for me it is where there's a lot of opportunity because you can get in early then the level two is more so where you're you know you're starting to see some some shovels being in the ground you know, not a ton of activity. There are a lot of stuff that's starting to come online, right? But, you know, the right. herd still isn't still isn't there, but there's still probably some opportunities there. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's certainly not fully stabilized. And then your level three is likely a stabilized area where you are trying to avoid. There might be right. some opportunities, some infill lots or some opportunities in the immediate core. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's already already developed. Does that level one kind of fit into your buy box of just trying to get in on the earlier side? Yeah, for sure. Because every day we're out in the car, we're all driving, you and me and everyone else, we're all going somewhere. But are you paying attention to what's actually going on? Are you paying attention like, hey, why is the city tearing up the street and putting in all of this new pipeline? Why is the you know community uh, planning or public works department ripping up the sidewalk and making the street three lanes now instead of one, right? What's what's the reason behind that? People don't pay attention to that. I try to because the city, the large developers and, and all these larger entities, they have the homework, they have the research, they have the data, and it tells them they need to do this because traffic is getting bad. 
There's more and more cars on on this road. There's more and more developments coming up. They're going to demand uh, larger sewer, power, water, gas lines, and we have to put those in now. So they know what's coming. They see it on the horizon. So they're putting in the infrastructure. So what I like to do is I like to make sure I pay attention to that infrastructure. I like to see, hey, why is all this happening? Are they just tearing this up because it's old or are they tearing it up and making it better because they're improving the infrastructure for the future. So it's something I definitely pay attention to. And another thing is to watch the big heavy lifters, right? See what they're doing. If you take, for an example, Elon Musk had Tesla up here in Northern California, right? And he said, I'm going to build a new plant, et cetera, et cetera. And the state of California made it hard for him, right? They wanted to tax him and they wanted to do this and do this. And he's like, I'm putting all these millions and billions of dollars into the economy. I'm creating jobs through construction and jobs through manufacturing. And, and I'm, I'm creating a small economy here. You know, how can you, we work together? And the state of California was very very hard and took a hard line and didn't help him. So, you know, Elon Musk said, okay, I'm packing up shop. I'm shutting everything down. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to Austin. Now, if you go down and look at Austin where he showed up, was able to put things together real fast, the community and the state and the, and the city were very helpful in helping him put together his, you know, move his headquarters, build his new plants. If you take a look, you can see what's going on outside of that economy now. There's more residential that is in demand because they have all these new employees that are coming to the area. So you need to supply those people with housing. Well, the people that are moving there need housing, but at the same time, they need food. So you have new shopping that's coming up. And then they need gas. You have new gas stations. And then you have uh, people who supply the parts to Tesla. So you need more warehouses and, and smaller facilities so these businesses can supply Tesla with their with the products they need. So if you watch these big heavy movers that are moving to different areas, it will increase the demand for infrastructure, the demand for other types of development and the other products that are needed. Same thing that's happening to Florida. Uh, there is a very large investment firm moving out of Chicago. Billion and billions of dollars of business are moving to Florida. I guarantee you wherever they end up and they buy an office building or they build their own office building, it's going to create a demand for that area. So if you can find out where things are happening now, you can go in and you can find opportunities to buy some land or to buy a development or to get into something before it gets too expensive and you get priced out. So follow the big guys, follow the cities and follow the trends that you see happening, because if you're able to do that and have a scientific approach to where things are going to be happening you can get in early and buy some of that dirt and buy some of that land and have the opportunity for a really uh, successful development i always like to say you know real estate investing is is like legal insider trading as long <laughs> as you're able to follow the trends know who's going where and knowing how certain moves whether it's micro or macro can impact yeah. the demand factors in a specific market. I mean, it's 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 no telling. I mean, we've we've been successful on you know on, on a much smaller scale than than real estate. You know, the, the the types of projects that you build. But you know, just being able to get in early and pay attention to the basic fundamentals, whether it's jobs, housing, the demand factors that are just fundamental to real estate. I mean, you can literally create a fortune <laughs> by getting into these markets early. If you're interested in passively investing in high-quality real estate opportunities, 
Then join our investor group at Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N-N, acquisitions.com slash invest for direct access to carefully vetted real estate opportunities. Or head over to the show notes and click the link to join. Now let's get back to the show. So staying on the topic of actually your, your first deal, right? You mentioned firing an architect and then finding someone else that was new to help you develop this great building. The hardest part I like to say in real estate is contractors or just developing your team because it's really tough to really find that one great contractor or that one great architect sometimes just because you just never know who you're dealing with until you've actually gone through the process or the or different projects right you you have yeah. to kind of feel some of these subcontractors out sometimes so talk about building a team in real estate development how important is it for you to build a team, especially in today's environment, to be successful in real estate development today? So it's really important that you have those guys in your phone that you can go to and they provide a consistent, solid, good product to you every time. You know, whether it's architecture, engineering, construction, materials, whatever it may be, they're consistent. And another thing I don't like to do is I don't want to recreate the wheel every time we do a project, right? So I will go to City Hall and pull plans from somebody else's project that was a great design or a great uh, a great property. I was like, okay, who did that? Because that was a great job. And I want to go and recreate it with the same kind of architects and the same kind of team that were on it. So I'll pull the permits to see who those, the contractor was. I'll pull the plans and see who that architect was, right? Because that stuff is public knowledge. All that stuff at City Hall is public knowledge. So if you want to know what's going on, you can go to City Hall, go to the planning department, go to the building department and ask to see those documents. And they'll tell you who is the architect, who is the engineer, who is the contractor and things like that. So I like to figure out who did those projects and, and to put them in my Rolodex, right? I want to put them on my speed dial because I know they're doing a good job. So when we go back to when I fired that architect, I was already money in deep, spent money. I was in deep with them already, but I figured out that sometimes you have to cut your losses, right? Yeah. I don't want to, you know, if you go and try and write it to the end, you're going to have a bad product. You're going to have a bad design. You're going to have a bad building for, for the rest of your life. I rather cut that uh, relationship off and get started with someone else who, who, you know, will probably do a much better job. Who'll be more consistent and will be there for you at the end with a better design and a better building. So sometimes you have to learn to cut your losses and, you know, leave some money on the floor, or on the table, wherever it is, because you already spent it and say, Hey, you know what? That's a learning experience. I'll never do it again. It did cost me some money. But I know now if I start from scratch or if I start with someone else and I continue and I finish it out with someone better, I know it's going to be better for me in the long run and it's going to be better for me for the next project. So don't beat yourself up if you've made a bad decision. You know, we try to avoid that and minimize it to the to the best we can. But sometimes it happens. But at the same time, use that as a learning experience to say, okay, I'll never use that service provider again. I found this much better person and I know from here on out, I'm covered. I know they're going to give me everything that I pay them for and more. And like I said, don't reinvent the wheel. If you see something good, go out and find out who did it. Talk to them, hire them. Don't think that you got to start from scratch. Find out what other people are doing well, find out who's doing it, hire them, and then you can do it better. That's the same approach that I take into, you know, my business 
as well. On one end, it's the higher, slow, fire, fast approach, yeah. right? You know, sometimes you have to give people a chance to get your project started or or get started in the business. But, you know, the minute that you feel something in your gut that tells you, hey, this person and I probably are not going to work together, you need to find a way to fire them as quickly as possible. Sure. And, you know, I've certainly made, you know, a ton of mistakes in real estate, but the mistakes have always created the lessons that I try not to make twice because we live in a business where failure and mistakes are a part of the process. But how can you learn from your mistakes? How can you figure out, you know, your mistakes quicker and become, you know, successful by just turning that mistake into something positive? That's extremely important. Let's talk about the real estate development construct today in terms of building in today's environment. What struggles are you having? Is it the supply chain issues? Are you struggling with getting your your deals to to pencil at the right price or are interest rates affecting you in today's current market? What types of struggles are you are you having if any in in today's environment? I think, you know, if you are pursuing an opportunity that just makes sense and it checks off all the boxes, uh, you'll be okay. You know, I'm not going out in some area or building some sort of product that is kind of like on the edge, like, hey, if it works, it's going to be a home run. If it doesn't, it's going to be a disaster. It's more like your bread and butter, right? So let's stick with what is needed. Like I spoke about before, what is needed for the community, right? What is going to be needed regardless of what's going on in the economy? People will always need to eat. They will always need to sleep somewhere and they always need to work somewhere, right? So what are those basic things that the people need and provided to them. So I had this conversation earlier today with a friend of mine who is a uh, a plumbing supplier, right? They supply large, large project and development with all their plumbing needs, whether it's the pipes, the sewers, the undergrounds, the fixtures, the fittings, and all that kind of stuff, right? And right now, with the change of the economy happening in the last 30 and 60, 90 days, they are now full of material, versus how they were a year ago where they had no material. They are now full of material and they're all waiting to see how the economy is going to change in the immediate future. So same thing with me. How is it going to change? Uh, Are the interest rates going to continue to go up? If the interest rates go up, does that mean construction is going to slow down? If construction slows down, does that mean my construction cost goes down, right? Or if construction wants to stay steady, are the guys who have all the material going to start dropping their prices to see how they can keep their business going? Because if they keep their prices high, but construction goes down, they're going to suffer. So they got to lower their prices. So construction stays high because if my prices on material comes down, I can continue to do my projects and things to that extent. So right now I think everyone is just pumping the brakes and waiting to see where things happen in the next 30, 60, 90 days. I don't see anybody stopping development. I don't see anybody canceling development plans, but I do see people pumping the brakes and saying, okay, we're not going to stop, but I just want to coast here for a little bit to see where things end up. Where does that material price end up? Where does the labor price end up? And where does the consumer and the interest rates end up? Because all of that plays into whether I go out and I build a hundred unit apartment complex, or I go out and I build three, four, five industrial buildings. You know, let's see where that ends up uh, in the next 30, 60, 90 days before we take the next step forward and continue on with our projects. 
it's something where in the you know stabilized multifamily space that we're dealing with on a daily basis, right? It's being able to project forward construction costs in today's environment while managing debt. We have a couple of construction loans right now, you know, in our syndications that we're constantly kind of managing the difference between, hey, we have a floating rate that every time we draw on this project, you know, it's increasing. And then, you know, the Fed just came out, you know, a couple of days ago, as we talk in July 2022, that they're raising rates 75 basis points, right? So it's that constant complex of, hey, can we move forward with our plan or do we just sit still because these rates are getting higher and higher? I think that affects a lot of people who have for sale product. You know, you're selling a house, the interest rates go up. That means your construction loan goes up, but it also means the ability of your buyer decreases, right? Um, so if you're building single family homes, yeah, I think that plays into uh, it plays into it a lot. Uh, right now, the only for sale product I have are my small industrial buildings. Well, I do know that industrial is still in demand and small changes in the interest rate will affect things, but probably not as much as the single family home market, right? But if the interest rates continue to go up, that means more people are going to be neat, uh, will be unable to buy and they'll have to rent, right? So we go into the multifamily where that stays consistent. So um, the changes in the interest rates will affect certain parts of real estate investment and development much more than other areas. And those are the ones that I, you know, I try to avoid where that interest rate and the market changes are really critical to my business. I try to avoid those areas. Yeah. And, and, and the way that I look at demand factors, I mean, we've been underbuilding for 10 plus years since the last recession, right? And there's yep. such a backlog on just supply coming into the market because, you know, we just haven't been keeping up with demand. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I'm watching as we, you know, we, we continue to, to see where the market ends up is how is that going to affect, you know, people buying homes, right? We have institutional capital that's, that's you know, scaled up more on their appetite for single family homes. And, you know, I do think that the demand for single family homes is still going to be ro robust, but even for rentals, multifamily owners, I mean, the, 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 the fundamentals are very attractive for the long term at least, you know, so I think there's, there's a huge opportunity for operators to, to capitalize and, and, and bring that product to the market that, um, you know, I think a lot of people would, uh, be interested in just because they can't, they can't afford it. It's just out of control right now. It's like you said, it's the solid fundamentals that will always be needed, right? Like the multifamily product and some of the, uh, the commercial product will always be needed. Some of those other markets are a lot more affected by changes in the economy. So if you're in the hotel development or the hotel investment business, or if you're in the single family business, or you're in anything that is the first to go, right? So when the change in the economy happens, what do people cut out first? They cut out maybe leisure, they cut out the extras. So you saw recently uh, when COVID happened, people stopped going to hotels, they stopped going to the malls, they stopped doing this and doing this because they weren't allowed to, right? But if a change in the economy happens, they're going to stop spending money. They're going to stop going on vacation. They're going to stop doing all these leisure activities. So I try and stay away from those type of markets or those type of investments and developments. They're affected much more by the economy than everything else is, right? You know, maybe that hotel, that shopping center or that uh, resort property has huge amounts of opportunity to make money, but it's also a lot more affected by the economy. So I'd rather stay away from that than, than take the chance on some of those things.
Yeah, totally. 100% agree. Think about something like Orlando, right? Where there's a heavy reliance on tourism that that boosts that economy. You know, when COVID happened, that economy, you know, had a huge pullback. Prior to COVID, you know, Orlando was just so robust and everyone was just pumping a lot of dollars and things were going very well in the multifamily space over there as well. Definitely looking at that from a macro level and, and putting that into your analysis on whether you're trying to um, invest into that market, but also that product, because it can have a direct impact on you being able to to be successful. So let me ask you this, you know, you have you know, a ton of experience in real estate development, real estate in general. If you had to start this marathon all over again, you know, what would you do differently? Good question. I would, one, figure out how to create the relationships and get the knowledge in construction, right? Because the more you know about construction and the more you understand construction, the better you're able to manage your development project, right? Because construction and construction labor are a majority of that expense. So the more you're able to understand it and the better you're able to manage that process, the better development you're going to have, the less expensive development you're going to have, the more opportunities you're going to have to save some money here and there, right? So getting that construction experience, whether you're working for a construction company or a contractor or developer, understanding that construction side of the business. And at the same time, being able to understand market trends, you know, understand and have the ability to really understand where things are going, like what economies are growing, what cities are growing, why are they growing? People are moving there. Why do they move there? If you take a look at the Sun Belt, because people have been talking about the Sun Belt for the last 50 years, why is that? People go to that area because the the environment is, is easier. The, the temperatures are, are different. You don't get ice. You don't, don't get snowed in. You don't have that. So taxes. Yeah, taxes as well. So understanding those trends and why people do things is very important, right? So, and if I was to get started all over again, I would go into small developments, you know, fourplexes, eightplexes, stuff like that. Something that are not too expensive. You can get into them fairly easily and those opportunities exist everywhere. So definitely get into something like that. I wouldn't start out with any of the commercial stuff that I've done in the past. It was a great experience, but it did not produce the same kind of um, financial results that I would like or that I get from other types of development. Um, and they are, it's very management intensive. So, you know, commercial projects I would stay away from. I'd definitely focus on any sort of residential, single family, multifamily, and any sort of industrial warehousing that provides a service to others that will always be in need. That's great. And what I got from that was one, find a way to get the intrinsic knowledge on construction, because yeah. that's basically 90% of your development, right? It's right. just construction and putting things all together. The second thing is just get started, whether yeah. it's buying a lot or you know finding some sort of deal where you can get your feet wet. I think that's something that not a lot of people really pay attention to in terms of just finding a way to get started because you can get the shiny object syndrome, you know, I need oh, to yeah. go big. I need to do a big development, my first deal. But there's value in just experience. There's value in just being able to say, I did that before yep. and I'm working on scaling up and doing it at a bigger scale. I had a conversation recently. I went out to lunch with a friend of mine. My friend is a partner in a construction company that is building somewhere between two to $500 million a year in projects for people, right? It's a very big mm -hmm. construction company. Been around and he's a partner, right? 
And, and I asked them, Hey, you know, when you hire contractors for your jobs, I understand they're much more expensive. He's like, yes, because they're able to provide a bigger service. Like if I need a driveway for a project, that driveway is going to be, you know, 5,000 feet long and 300 feet wide because it's such a big development. But when I hired a guy to do my driveway at my house, it was much cheaper because it was a, uh, a smaller crew, smaller amount of materials. And that big driveway cost him, xyz dollars per square foot to do but on this house it was like one third the cost right because the amount of labor the materials and the, the amount of people who can do it so if you could really understand what it takes and how much it costs to do something on a project it's really going to save you a lot of money because if somebody comes and says okay i'm going to pour you a slab of concrete and it's going to cost you twenty five thousand dollars well, if you're able to understand how much concrete costs, if you're able to understand how many guys are needed to do the job and understand what it takes to do the job, you're able to figure out that guy is really not giving you a good price or he really is giving you a good price. And if you want to know the price of concrete, call a concrete company. Hey, how much is a load of concrete? 1200 bucks, 1300 bucks, whatever it may be. Well, how much is that? Oh, it's 10 yards. Well, how big is 10 yards? Okay. Now you understand how big, how much concrete one of those trucks can provide and how much it costs you, right? If you want to understand how much lumber it's going to take to do a room addition, go out and look at the plans and count how many pieces of lumber, then go to Home Depot and find out how many pieces of wood it costs, right? Once you're able to understand that, aspects of construction, like breaking it down, then you can really find ways to save money and do a better job. And at the end, it's going to be better for you. So just break it down. Whatever you do, break it down. That is the best advice for getting into construction or just learning construction at the ground level, right? And that's something that I took into my own business from just going to Home Depot and finding out, you know, what are these materials costing? When I was, you know, back four years ago, trying to get into real estate, I had no idea what it cost to hang drywall. If you're able to segregate your business down to a granular level, that can really put you or propel you in front of a lot of different other operators, or even when you're trying to win a bid on a property, being able to get down to the nitty gritty can certainly propel you to the next level in this real estate space, which it seems like you've taken all of that knowledge from your brokerage and construction background and implemented that into your business to be the successful developer that you are today. Great advice for someone who is trying to get into commercial real estate, learn construction, and get started. If anyone wants to know anything about you know what you're doing and follow you and just learn more about a Met. How can our listeners follow you moving forward? Yeah, mostly on Instagram. I'm very, very active on Instagram. I try and put a, uh, as much good content as I can. And it's Ahmed Builds Better on Instagram. And that's the best way to get a hold of me or to follow me or to learn from me is, is that. And, and I share uh, tips and tricks and best practices along the way as well. So if you want to pick up some of the stuff that I've learned over the past uh, throughout my career or what I'm doing currently and how I'm doing it better, uh, just go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Well, man, I had a, such a great time chatting with you today. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for all our listeners today for tuning in to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Again, Ahmed, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.